Now, last week, Pastor John Pyle talked to us about how it takes a village to raise a child. And uh, what I can say as a parent who now has grown children who are gone, you know, thank God they're gone, uh, is that Kid City is like a village that helped raise my children. They help instill faith in my children. And for that, and those of you who have volunteered in Kid City, I am forever grateful. And so if you're looking for a way to courageously connect, maybe volunteering in our Kid City program will be the right step for you. Now, when you give your tithe here at City Church, a portion of everything you give goes to provide the staff and the space we need to serve, get this, over 500 children and over 150 students each week. And so... Uh, we are serious at City Church about passing on our faith to the next generation well. And so I just want to take a moment in the service and pray a blessing over your offering, however you give it, electronically, at home, online, or if you're going to give it in just a few moments after the service. So let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for the opportunity that you give us uh, to serve the next generation, our children and our kids and this week, and in particular, I want to lift up the offering that we receive. I thank you for it. I pray that you would stir faith in our hearts as we give, to give uh, cheerfully out of faith. And then I pray that you would bless us as we give. Surprise us with your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, City Church exists so all people can believe and thrive in Christ. So no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, I want you to know you are welcome here. This is a place for all people. So we don't care if you would call yourself an atheist or an agnostic, a uh, skeptic or a spiritual investigator, a struggling believer or a mature disciple. You are all welcome here. City Church is a safe community where you can explore our faith in Jesus where you can ask your hardest questions, where you can wrestle with your deepest struggles, and where you can grow in the faith, and where you can find a way to make an impact in this movement, because it does matter. Now, I'm grateful that my parents raised me in the church. Uh, grew up right here in San Antonio. They raised me to believe in God and to believe that Jesus was his son. But if, if I could be honest... As I got older, I realized I didn't have a lot of clarity about what it really meant to be right with God. It's like my faith was foggy, if you know what I mean. And, okay, let me, let, me, let me explain. So like I grew up in a Baptist tradition, right? And there's many parts of that that I'm very grateful for. But I, I heard some confusing messages from some of the preachers. So sometimes preachers would say things like this. Salvation is a free gift, but it costs you everything. And I heard preachers say things like, if Jesus isn't Lord of all, then he's not Lord at all. I was encouraged to give my heart to Jesus. I was told to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I was told to turn or burn. Well, none of that made any sense to me. I mean, come on. How can something be a free gift that costs you everything? That is illogical. And so I ended up with a foggy faith. And you know what I found? 
As I've talked to my friends who grew up Catholic or in liturgical churches or in Reformed churches or even in charismatic churches, we all ended up foggy about what, what, what actually makes us right with God. And so starting today and through the rest of this series, we're going to clear the air. And so I've asked uh, Pastor John Witte, our pastor of theology, uh, over the next several weeks after I'm, I do my message today, I've asked him to teach us free grace theology. And so I'm looking forward to this series because I think this series will help us go deep. So I need you to put your thinking cap on, okay? Because we're going to go deep so we can get clear. And so I'm asking you to rearrange your schedule to get here for these four weeks because I think it's that important because I want us to get clear together. This, this issue that we're talking about for the next four weeks, it is critical. So a few years ago, I received a phone call from a woman who had been, uh, she and her husband had been attending City Church for about six months. And she asked if she and her husband could meet with me. And so I agreed to meet with them. I found out that she grew up Baptist like me. And then uh, her husband grew up Catholic like, you know, maybe many of you. And so uh, we sat down and she started talking and she said, she just started pouring her heart out to me. She said, I just, I feel confused. I feel anxious. I feel like my life is spinning out of control and I feel guilty all the time and I just don't know what to do. And so I wanted to like find out where she was in a relationship with God. You know, I, I never assume, I don't never want to assume anything. And so I, I just asked her a question like, just tell me, where, where, where do you feel like you are in your relationship with God? And she said, well, what do you mean? And so I, I tried to make it clearer. I said, well, do you feel like you're right with God, like things are right with God? Do you believe that your sins have been forgiven and that, um, that you have eternal life, that you're a child of God? And she said, I think so. And because of her hesitancy, I said, oh, okay. Why do you think you're right with God? Why, why do you believe you're a child of God? And this is what she said. Well, I'm back in church, and I'm trying to get better, and I'm getting more involved. In essence, she was telling me, look, I really do want to be right with God, and so I'm hoping that if I do some good stuff, and I, I do some religious stuff, and if I get my act together, I'm hoping I'll be good enough. Now, I've been a pastor for over 30 years, and whenever I ask questions like that of, of someone just to try to figure out where they are in their, in their spiritual journey, and that's okay, we're all there at some point, over and over, dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of times, people respond with a similarly foggy view of what makes people right with God. And so uh, I, I want us to get at that in this series. Because the logic behind that way of thinking, it's the good enough way of thinking. It goes something like this. God is good, right? God is good. And heaven's a good place for good people. And so I'm hoping that if I get good enough, I'll be good with this good God so I can get into that good place. Now, New York Times best-selling author Andy Stanley calls this the good enough view of our relationship with God. And this view is so prevalent that NBC even made a fantasy comedy 
based on this view called The Good Place, you know, starring Kristen Bell. Well, I asked that woman and her husband if they wanted to know what the scriptures say, make people right with God. And they both nodded their heads, yes. And so we unpacked three scriptures that, I, that, that covers like from Genesis to Jesus, what the scriptures say makes us right with God. And I want you to know this couple gave me permission to share their story and our journey with you. But before we begin that journey, I want to ask you the question that I asked them. Where do you feel like you are in your relationship with God? Do you believe you're right with God? Do you believe your sins have been forgiven and that you are definitely a child of God? Now, I know that some of you may be new to church, and like I said, you're welcome here. I hope that this message and this series will help you understand what we believe makes us get right with God. But maybe there's others of you who, you grew up with some church, or maybe like me, you went to church a lot, but if you could be honest, you were foggy. You were really foggy about what makes a person right with God, and I hope that this talk in this series will clear the air. All right, so you ready? So let's go all the way back to Genesis. What made people right with God all the way back whenever Genesis was happening? So we're going to go back and look at what the scriptures say made the father of our faith, Abraham, right with God. But let me give you a little bit of background to his story. <clears throat> so God appeared to Abraham and he asked him to leave his hometown and his family and to go to a land far, far away. And God promised him that he would make Abraham into a great nation. And so Abraham left his homeland, his, all of his family, and traveled to a far distant land, and he, he ended up settling in the land that we now call Palestine and Israel, right? And there, uh, God blessed him, and he, he began to prosper. He became a, a pretty wealthy person for his day. He met and married his wife, Sarah, and they had a great life together, except in one area. They weren't able to have kids. And as childless years turned into childless decades, Abraham became desperate. He became very frustrated and discouraged because he felt certain all of his inheritance, all of this stuff that God had given him was going to go to some distant relative. You know, like Matthew Crawley on Downton Abbey. You know what I'm saying? Hey, I'm into Abbey and I admit it. I'm not ashamed of that. Thank you. All right. So Abraham was afraid that all of his inheritance was going to go to some distant relative. And then God appeared to him and spoke to him in a vision. This is Genesis chapter 15, verses 4 through 6. The scripture says, Then the Lord came to him and said, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. The Lord took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can't, can count them. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord credited it to him as righteousness. And so I asked the couple, okay, what was the it that got him declared righteous? What was the it? He believed the Lord and the promise that he made. That was it. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, look up. 
Look up at the stars in the sky and try to count them. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham looked up and he considered the promise that God made and believed it. Even when it seemed impossible, he believed it. And God said, you're righteous. That's free grace. All right? That is free grace. Free grace is free because Abraham didn't do anything to get it. He didn't get his act together. He didn't do any religious rituals. Were there any religious rituals that went on? No. He didn't do good deeds to earn it. He did some good deeds later, but that didn't get him righteous. What made Abraham right with God? The Lord said, look up and believe. And when Abraham believed, God said, you're right. From here on out, you're my child. That's free grace. So I asked the couple, okay, so that's Genesis. I asked, could we look at what Jesus said made people right with God? And they said, well, sure, let's do this. So we unpacked a conversation that Jesus had with a Jewish religious leader named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus, like some of us, even though, now think about it, he, even though he's a religious leader, he was foggy about his faith. Because in Jesus' day, most Jewish religious leaders taught and the people believed that the way you got right with God was by meticulously obeying all of the laws of Moses. The good enough view of how you get right with God. Hoping you, you, you did enough of the laws and you obeyed enough of the laws that you'd be good enough, right, to get in. And instead, Jesus said, this is how you get right. This is John 3, verse 13 through 15. <clears throat> Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus and he says, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the son of man. So he's talking about how you get to heaven. And you get to heaven by the one who came from heaven. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes, who? Everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Now, Jesus often referred to himself as the son of man. And here he's saying, one day I'm going to be lifted up just like Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness. And so that everybody looks to me and believes they will, they will have eternal life. And so uh, I, I asked the question, so what does lifting up a snake in the wilderness have to do with getting right with God? Now, you see, Nicodemus would have known that story well and would have known exactly what Jesus was talking about. But I asked the couple, I said, do you know what story he's talking about? And they were honest. They said, no, we really don't know it. And I said, that's cool, because I didn't know it until I was a volunteer in my children's program in my church. And so let me tell you, let me explain the story to you so you can understand what Jesus is saying. So God sent Moses to lead the Israelites who for hundreds of years had been enslaved in Egypt. And with powerful miracles, God delivered them from their pain and from their bondage. And he led them out of Egypt, was taking them to a land that he had promised him, that he had promised, remember, to Abraham. And along the way, he miraculously provided water and bread and meat. But along the way, the Israelites became disgruntled with God. 
They got tired of eating meat and bread, meat and bread, meat and bread, meat and bread, meat and bread. They wanted to go back to Egypt where the food was a little different. Can you imagine? They wanted to go back to slavery and they began to say it out loud. When they did that, they sinned against the Lord. And as a consequence for their sin, God sent poisonous snakes into the camp. When that happened, the people realized, rut row, we did something wrong, okay? And so they repented, they turned from that, they turned from what they had expressed, and they said, Lord, we're sorry, we know we, we did the wrong thing, please take the snakes away. But you know what? That's not what God did. This is what happened. This is Numbers 21, verses 8 through 9, and this is what Jesus is referring to. Okay, you ready? The Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone, anyone who is bitten can look up at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked up at the bronze snake, they lived. Now I want us to get this. Instead of taking away the consequences that they deserved, God provided a way where they could live despite their sin. So I want you to think with me for a moment. If you were an Israelite parent and you had teenagers, and, you know, back in that day, you had to make your teenager's bed because, you know, back then, teens didn't make their beds either. And so you're in the tent making your teenager's bed, and you tuck the blanket under the pad, and a poisonous snake bites you. That becomes the moment of truth, doesn't it? You're in a tent. You can't see the snake snake on a stick. And you're like, okay, do I really believe that if I walk out of my tent and look up at that snake on a pole, that I'll live? And the scriptures say that those who looked up and believed lived. And so I asked the couple, I said, why do you think God wanted them to look up? at that snake on a pole. And I, I really appreciated the, the, the wife at this point because she was getting all frustrated with me. I, I don't know. I don't get it. That doesn't make any sense. And so I sort of let that set for a minute. And then her husband, he was sort of, sort of like wanted to speak up. He said, it's about faith, isn't it? And I was like, yes, it's about faith. <laughs> I didn't jump in down, but in my heart it did. So I want you to follow. Okay. The people, okay, back in numbers, the people sinned. We all do. The people fell short of God's expectations. So do we, right? But God wanted grace to prevail over guilt. He wanted grace to triumph over guilt. He wanted forgiveness to win out over judgment. God's love compelled him to provide a way. No matter what consequences we might deserve, his love compelled him to find a way out of it so that we could live. Look up and believe. That is free grace. Well, that was the promise that God made to Abraham back in Genesis. That was the promise God made to the Israelites Back in Moses' day, what promise does he make 
for us. Let's go back to Jesus' words. This is John 3, 14 through 16. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God loved the world so much that he made this promise. That if we will look up and believe in Jesus and what he did on the cross, he would declare we are righteous. He would declare our sins are forgiven. He would declare we have eternal life. He would declare we are his children. Look up and believe. That's free grace. Now, last year, almost 400 people here at City Church looked up and believed in Jesus and became children of God. And they, they expressed their faith through the powerful symbol of baptism. And we're, we're so happy for them. Maybe you're one of the 400. But I want to admit to you, I have a concern. As your pastor, my concern, first of all, is that you're clear about what made you right with God. And that's why we're doing this series, right? My talk and the rest of the series. And I, I hope things get clear. But I'm also concerned that you begin your journey well. And that's something we've not always done well as a church. I'm just going to admit to you. Now, when I first got serious about following Jesus in my life, I had a few people who mentored me along the way so I could start my journey well. You know, it's great to have a mentor. And so I've asked John Witte to initiate a mentor program here at City Church for new believers. And so I'm looking for some men and women who have a strong faith, who have some spiritual maturity, and who are willing to commit to mentoring new believers. And this is what's going to happen. I'm going to ask you to sign up and to step up and to mentor some new believers. We need you. And what you'll do is you're going to meet with John Witte. He's going to do like some kind of retreat where he's going to train you in the, in the mentor program that we're going to use. And then you're going to gather with him and these new believers, and you're going to be paired off with some new believers, and you're going to go through the program together, and then John will give you some instructions on how to continue mentoring these new believers along the way. This will be a great way for you to courageously connect with others and to help some new believers grow in their faith. And I hope you'll consider that. If you will, that's one of the volunteer options in the Volunteer Fest. You can sign up in that way and let us know. But I want to end my message by asking you the question that I end up asking that couple. So when I went through all of that and we got to Jesus, I asked them, are you ready to look up and believe? And, and the husband, man, he was ready. But the wife, she still looked like she felt confused, you know? And, and I, don't, I don't like to force people to make a decision until they're ready. I just, I don't like that. And so I wanted to see if I could help her get clear about what it meant to have faith, to, to believe in the biblical sense. And so I had a chair in my office, uh, sort of like this chair here. And I said, let me see if I can explain what faith is, what, what biblical faith is. I can look at that chair and affirm that it's made out of plastic and rubber and metal and fabric. 
I can affirm truths about it, right? But that's not faith. I can affirm the truth that I think it's been designed to hold people up and, and to give people rest. But that's not faith. This is faith. When you believe enough to trust and to rest. And this is what Jesus told us. If you will look up, look up to him and believe, you will have eternal life. Your sins will be forgiven and you will be a child of God. That's free grace. Are you ready to look up and believe today? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, first, I want to say thank you for what you faced on the cross. I just can't even imagine. But you did it so that we could look up at you and believe and that your Father would declare us righteous and that your Father would become our Father. It's just so awesome. Thank you, Lord. And so if you're here today and you're ready to look up and believe, I want to lead you in a prayer of expressing your trust and your faith in Jesus. And so I'm going to lead you through it phrase by phrase, and I want you to whisper it out loud. I think it's important that it's not just in your head, but that you you whisper it. So are you ready? God, I believe in you, and I believe Jesus is your son. I believe he died on the cross to pay for my sins. And so today I look up and believe in him. I ask you to forgive me of my sins and to make me your child. And Lord Jesus, according to the promise that you told us, if anyone, you said if anyone looked up and believed in you, They would have eternal life. And so we're standing on that, Lord. I'm praying that you would seal within our hearts. Those who prayed that prayer with me for the first time, seal within their hearts that from this day forward, their sins have been forgiven. Their destiny is in your presence, Father, wherever you are. The the scriptures call it heaven. And that they know from this point forward, they are your children. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.